Uh, Ed Dufresne say this, and you can download the very thing he said off of his website, and his website is uh, ChristTheHealer.org, I think. And, and you can download this, because I downloaded it. I heard somebody else say it, and I went to his website for something else this week, and this was on there, so I downloaded it. But um, the Lord woke him up in uh, Peru. In the middle of the night, he heard the Lord say, uh, I am not an infidel. And uh, he said, he said, I said, Lord, I, I'm not accusing you of being one, I, you know. And, and he said, he said, well, my, peep, my children are acting like I'm an infidel. And you know, the word says that anyone that doesn't take care of their own is worse than an infidel. Amen. So God wants to take care of his children. And so he said, <clears throat> and this is the point I want to get to. I can't go through the whole prophecy or the whole thing he said. But like I said, load it down off of his website if you can. And, uh, but he said... Uh, he said, you know, I started from that day forward believing God for daily care packages. He said, I started believing for care packages from heaven. And I don't know, something about that got a hold of me when, he, when I heard him say that. And, and I've been meditating on that for a while now. And uh, he said, you know, that it, that it took him a while, and he began to confess that on a daily basis, that I have care packages from heaven. You know, my God cares for me, so I get care packages. Amen? He said, now, he said, I've, 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 he said, it took me a while, but I've gotten it now where I received the care packages on a daily basis. And he said, now the care packages I get from God are, are, are more than my salary. I mean, they're not always money, but if you total up, you know, what the value of the care packages would be. He said, it's more than my salary. Family, we're not dependent on, on our paycheck. Amen. Amen. And God's no respecter of persons. If he wants Ed Dufresne to have care packages, he wants me to and he wants you to. Amen. Amen. So, you know, we, it's this part of this praying for God's blessing. Now, last week, for those of you that feel like, well, what's she talking about? Well, last week, let's turn over to First Chronicles chapter 4. We started, I started talking to you about a little book called The Prayer of Jabez that uh, Deanna mentioned to me when we were out one day. She said uh, that the some of the teachers at her school were just all in a stir about this book, really excited about it. And she didn't know, she had not read it or anything, but anyway, uh, so, uh, so one day I was just going down the road and just pulled in and bought the book. I thought, well, I want to know what everybody's stirred up. If somebody's stirred up in town, I want to know what it's about. Amen. So I bought the book, and it's this little book here. And I, I, I wish we could say go in the bookstore and buy one, but we can't buy from this publisher. So go to Books a Million or something. They have them there, and they also have them at Gospel Supply. So go there and buy one, and it'll bless you. But anyway, in first, the whole book is about First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, just two verses. And it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. I sure like that last part. And God granted him that which he requested. Hallelujah. This must be a prayer God likes because God granted it to him. Amen. And he asked him to bless him. So we covered that all last week on bless me, on asking God to bless us. And I would encourage you to get that tape. And you can get it in the bookstore. Um, but the second part, let's go to the second part of that prayer tonight, where it says, and enlarge my coast. Now, some versions say enlarge my territory. I like that better. I think it's a little more understandable to us in our day. Uh, so he says, enlarge my territory. 
Now, everybody, every person, every person has a gift given to them from God. Now, I'm not so much talking about talent. There's people that's not even born again that has talent, although it could incorporate, that could be incorporated into it. But I'm talking about what Ephesians 3, 7 calls a gift of grace, a grace gift, something you've been graced with. Amen? So many times, so many times, it, it really isn't talent. So many times, once we get born again, God doesn't even let us rely on, those, on talent because... Uh, uh, you know, then we are in the arm of the flesh. In other words, somebody very highly educated in music or something, they can lean on the arm of the flesh, can't they? In other words, they could do that if they didn't have God. So many times, God will ask you to do something, well, even most often, something you, there's no way you could do. Amen? And it's called, that's why it's a grace gift. You've been graced with something. Something's been put in every person in here. And you know, if you don't know what it is, that's just because you hadn't discovered it. It doesn't mean it's not there. Amen? Uh, uh, so um, when we pray to God to enlarge our territory, what we're saying is take my gift that you've placed within me and enlarge it. Now for a Christian businessman, you know, it could be something like this. It would be something like enlarge my business in such a way that I have significant opportunities to touch lives for your glory. God wants to bless Christian businessmen, not just so they can live in bigger houses and drive bigger cars. He wants them to have influence. He wants them to have influence with people. He wants them to influence the people they come in contact with for righteousness and you know, there's, there's a thing in this world, uh, whether you th agree with it or not, that people that have money have influence. Did you know it? People that have big businesses in this town, did y'all know they have influence in the community? They can get things done. Well, you know, God wants to get things done. So he wants Christian businessmen that will get things done for him. Yes, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, there are some in this town getting some things done for him. The, you know, and sometimes I know we see things that aren't right, that people use their influence in wrong ways, but we shouldn't let that stop us. Amen. Amen. Now then for the Christian housewife, this prayer might mean something like this. Let your favor be upon my family. Multiply our influence for your glory. Even if you're just a housewife, God can use you as an influence in the community. Amen. You know, I was talking to a lady this week, and she said, you know, our, our yard just attracts all the kids in the neighborhood. Well, what a wonderful opportunity for influence. Amen? Hallelujah. Just a wonderful, when you influence a kid, then pretty soon you're influencing their parents. Amen? And pretty soon you've influenced, you may have influenced a whole neighborhood. And when you influence a whole neighborhood, then you've made a significant influence on a school. Because every kid in the neighborhood will go to a certain school, Right? Hallelujah. So when you influence a school, then you've impacted, in some towns, you've impacted the whole city when you influence, because they all go to the same school in some towns. Amen. Well, hallelujah. So God wants to enlarge our territory. He wants to expand opportunities. He wants to send you places you could not take yourself. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, and I've read from her book to y'all, of Ruth Ward Heflin. She died back in September. A wonderful saint of God. 
wonderfully used of God. And I was so amazed when I read her book, Harvest Glory, because it, it just so expanded my thinking in these terms. And she would tell how the Lord, and, and of course, now you got to understand, she was raised up in a missionary, mission-minded family, Pentecostal family. And so she's been thinking this way since birth. And I hadn't been trained that way. I hadn't been thinking this way since birth, okay? But she would tell how God would say, well, I want you to go to just, see, to, let's just pull one out, Sierra Leone or something like that, a country. Just, and so she would just go buy a plane ticket and, and a lot of times didn't have the money to go buy a plane ticket. A lot of times just show up at the airport and, you know, think, well, God, you said to go. So, you know, and then, you know, sure enough, God would have somebody show up and give her the money and she'd buy the plane ticket and she'd get on. And, and, and God would take her to those places. And then when he would, she would get there, many times she would see the president of the nation through supernatural, just, you know, God would open supernatural doors. I cannot tell you in that book how many presidents of nations that she has met with and talked to. Amen. God wants to expand our territory. Amen. He wants to send us places we could never take ourselves. And you know what? You, if, if you just read her books and you look at the front of her book, such an ordinary woman. Such a just an ordinary little Pentecostal woman. I mean, you wouldn't think it from looking at her. You, you know, doesn't look like a, a, an ambassador. Doesn't look like somebody that the United Nations would hire. Doesn't look like someone that President Bush would nominate to be an ambassador to a country. But I tell you what, God used her. Because I tell you, half of the enlarge my territory is just availability. Amen. It's not, you know, when are we going to figure out it's not us? Amen. Well, so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, chapter 1. Just so ordinary. Now, you know, God doesn't want to send everybody in this room to nations. But he does have something for everybody in this room to do. He wants to enlarge your territory. And I do know for sure this, that there's nobody in this room that's doing all that God could use them for. If we would pray and say, God, enlarge my territory. Amen. And then just get available. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. Are you there? For ye see your calling, brethren. Now he's talking to brethren, okay? Ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So I don't know how you feel about yourself tonight, but I'll tell you, that's not even a part of the, the equation. It's not even a part of how God figures it. And what that verse says, you know, God just rarely ever chooses the highly educated. That's what that says. He rarely chooses those that are, uh, uh, let's see, what would you call it? High up in society. Doesn't that what it says? He says, not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, 
not many noble are called. We're talking about what the world would call mighty, what the world would call noble, what the world would call educated and wise. That's not who God chooses. He chooses the foolish things. He chooses the least likely. I, I mean, that was how Ruth Ward Heflin was. She was one of the least likely. Come from a Pentecostal family. And you know, I don't know how it is today so much, but I, I do know that 30 and 40 years ago, Pentecostals were looked down on. Amen. <laughs> you know, that's what, and you know, they were very much, that was the look down on people. Amen. And that's the family she came from. And you know, she never married. She's what we would call an old maid. Just, it just, just didn't seem, just doesn't seem likely in the natural. I mean, you know, that's how, I don't know, do you ever feel that way? Like, I don't know what God could use here. Not real talented, <laughs> you know, just average intelligence. I mean, I think I'm smart, but I know, you know, if you just get me up against, you put me up against Barry and, or somebody like that and, you know, it just doesn't. <laughs> Even put me up against my kids. Uh, they think they're smarter than I am anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> In some things they are. Hallelujah. Praise God. But see, that's not God's qualifications, is it? Everyone on earth has the same calling in a basic sense of the word, and that's to do God's work. Now, it may manifest in many different ways, but basically we all have the same calling. In Proverbs 18, 16, you know this verse. It says, a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. Hallelujah. Here's men's math. Here's how men do math. My abilities plus my experience plus my training plus my personality plus my appearance, plus my past, plus my expectation, uh, plus others' expectation of me, equal my assigned territory. I'm going to read that to you again. This is men's math. My abilities, plus my experience, plus my training, plus my personality, plus my appearance, plus my past, plus my expectation, my, plus others' expectation of me, equals my assigned territory. You know, there's one problem with this men's math, and that's that word, my. See, that's not how God does math. God just wants a vessel. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. God just wants you to be a vessel. Can you all find Timothy? I'm sure having a hard time. Oh, there it is. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You know, what are, I, I was trying to figure out, well, what is it there he's wanting to purge us of? He's wanting us to purge ourselves up. He's wanting us to purge ourselves of that wood and that, that, that earthly vessel there. In other words, if you'll purge yourself of my abilities plus my experience, plus if you'll purge yourself of my appearance plus my personality, if you'll purge yourself, that right there is the wood and the earth. The wood. That's the wood. If you'll purge yourself of that, then you'll be a vessel of honor because God doesn't do math like that. And so God wants a vessel, and that's all he wants. Now let me tell you how God does math. Got sticky pages here. Uh, my willingness 
plus my weakness, plus God's ability, plus God's supernatural power equals my expanding territory. All he wants from you is willingness and your weakness. Hallelujah. But well, all of us could do that. Amen. Amen. Everybody in here could get willing. You know how long it takes to get willing? Just that long. Just make a little adjustment in your heart right now. I'm willing. Amen. Plus my weakness. Well, hey, we, we all qualify. Plus God's ability. Hallelujah. Plus God's supernatural power equals my expanding territory. It reminds me of that scripture in Zechariah 4, 6, which says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by your might, not by your power, not by your education, not by how many scriptures you've got memorized. Amen. I tell you, I've seen people that had the whole word memorized, and it was just wood, hay, and stubble. I really have. We have sat in a service with a man that literally that's all he did was quote scripture. And it was no more, it was death. It was death. It was, there was no life in it. People don't get saved by you quoting scripture. People get saved by preaching up the word. You, it's different preaching the word than it is quoting scripture. See, God's not depending on your ability. So, hey, if you don't have scripture memorized, well, you're, 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 you're qualified. Hallelujah. No, now, I, it does, it's good to know Scripture. But if you're relying on that, hallelujah. Because God can use a donkey. We heard that this morning. God can use a donkey. You know, God can use a mouth that will talk and mouths that we don't normally think talk. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, um, I just want to say this one thing. And this is... This is the caution to praying, Lord, enlarge my territory. Promotion, which is what enlargement of territory is another way of saying, always is, means increased responsibility. Amen. Family, I got a heart to do more for God. I want Him to enlarge my territory. Amen. God never... To whom much is given, much is required. But you know what? To whom much is required, much is given. If God starts using you more, He'll give you more. He'll give you more to do it with. Hallelujah. Man, God's good. So that's the second part of the prayer. The third part of that pr the prayer is that your hand would be with me. Now, I love this part. Uh, uh, quite a number of years ago, Pastor and I, uh, one summer... I like to sit out on the porch and pray. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, well, it's time to believe me for a new car. And you know, God will initiate things like that. <clears throat> and uh, uh, that was good news because we were in the minivan age. You, knew, you know about that. And I told you about the minivan age. That's when you have kids and you have to have a minivan. Hallelujah. But our kids were getting bigger. And so, you know, they was getting where they was driving themselves more. Didn't have to have the minivan. So... God said, time, time to believe me for a new car. So we began to pray about that and believe him for it. And uh, I don't know how it works for you, and I don't know why it works this way for us, but we don't buy new cars by going down and looking around the lot and saying, I like that one. It's always with us where we go down to buy a new car, and it's like, that's the only one that works. That's the only one they'll deal on. 
That's the, and it's like it's so obvious that that's the one because, you know, you try to buy this one, it don't work. You try to buy that one, that doesn't work. And then you, uh, and finally you see. And so we found this black car, and, um, and it was a nice car, and it was new, and um, it was, I think it was, it was brand new, but it was like, you know, they are, the new models had already come out, and so they were discounting it quite a lot and everything. And, and, um, and you know, we just kind of had a witness in our, car that, in our heart that that was it, that was our car. So we went to the bank where we had always financed cars or paid our bills on time. And you know what? They said no. Now, there was no reason to say no, but they said no anyway. And, you know, I didn't get upset about it or anything because, you know, I just knew God said time for me to believe me for a new car. But the next morning, while I was praying, God showed me a scripture I'd never seen before. And it's Nehemiah 2.8. And so if you'll turn there. And Nehemiah is right over there before... Psalms and Job and right before Esther. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8. And this is the scripture God gave me that morning. And let's just drop down to the last part because the first part is not significant. And it says, the very last sentence of that verse says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. It's talking there about how Nehemiah, he asked for some wood and some timber and some stuff to rebuild the wall. He asked for some things. And he said, that the king granted me because the good hand of God was upon me. And so from this day forward, when God gave me this scripture, I knew what he was saying. My good hand's on you, and this is going to be granted to you. And you know what? From that day forward, I've been believing God's good hand to be upon me. I've been praying for God's good hand to be upon my children. But, oh, I tell you, the good hand of God is so awesome. I, I want to read from the book from, for, from, uh, tonight, and I'm going to read a little part because I couldn't say it better. Man, when you can't say it any better, you might as well just read it, hadn't you? Hallelujah. It was early in my ministry adventure, after doors had started to burst open on exciting new possibilities that walked through the Bible, but I just couldn't shake the feeling that I was the wrong man for the job. Extremely upset, I decided to seek the counsel of a trusted older man. John Mitchell was in his 80s, then a Yorkshire-born Bible teacher who had been a spiritual father to thousands, and I told him what I thought God was calling me to do, and then confessed my problem. I was still trying to describe my crisis in some detail when he broke in. Son, he said in his kindly brogue, that feeling you are running from is called dependence. It means you're walking with the Lord Jesus. He paused to let me take in his words, then continued, actually the second you're not feeling dependent is the second you've backed away from truly living by faith. I didn't like what I heard. You're saying, Dr. Mitchell, that feeling that I just can't do it is what I'm supposed to be feeling? Why, certainly, young man, he said, beaming. That's the one, all right. It's a frightening and utterly exhilarating truth, isn't it? As God's chosen, blessed sons and daughters, we are expected to attempt something large enough that failure is guaranteed. Unless God steps in. How many of you tonight are doing something that failure is guaranteed unless God steps in? You're right in the right place. Take a minute to prayerfully try to comprehend, prayerfully try to comprehend how contrary that truth is to everything you would humanly choose. It goes against common sense. 
It contradicts your previous life experience. It seems to disregard your feelings, training, and need for security. It sets you up to look like a fool and a loser. Don't you just love it? No, nobody, nobody amends on that. Nobody just loves it. <laughs> Yet it is God's plan for his most honored servants. I'll admit, big screen heroes don't seem to put any stock in dependence. But you and I were made for it. Dependence upon God makes heroes of ordinary people like Jabez and you and me. How? We're forced to cry out with Jabez's third desperate plea, Oh, that your hand would be with me. I mean, that is awesome. How many times has we, have we as Christians been in that place where it felt so uncomfortable like he's talking about and we began to think, I must not be in the will of God and we dove out. And what we actually did was dove right out of the will of God. God's hand, God's good hand represents his authority. See, we've been thought, we've thought, we've thought that God's authority was his judgment. But Nehemiah says it's a good hand. I looked up that word good, and this is the kind of hand it is. Goodness, kindness, meekness, gentleness, patience, peace, and joy. It's a good hand. And hand, that word hand means power, means, and direction. When God's hand is upon you, you, have, you are now, His resources are available to you. His means, His power, and His direction, which means His wisdom to know the future. Hallelujah. It implies guidance. God's good hand is on me, guiding me, because He knows the future. And you know, sometimes because God knows the future, he'll steer us over in a way which it doesn't seem comfortable. It doesn't seem right because look at all, look at, because you know, right now the stock market, God is doing this and this and this, but God's good hand guiding us because he knows the future. Amen. Amen. How many times do we talk ourselves out of the thing and we go later, I now I know God was telling me to do that. Now I know. God's so good. Hallelujah. His hand means his power, his means, and his direction. His means. Did you know we have his wealth, his hands upon us? His wealth is available to us. I mean, all that he has is available to us. Hallelujah. You know, this number three, this God let your good hand be upon me, that part of the prayer. This is such a simple prayer. This is the key to sustaining and continuing you know, we start things, we launch out, but we end up backing up sometimes because we forget to ask, oh God, let your good hand be upon me. Amen. The touch of greatness on our lives. I want to, I'm going to read another little excerpt from the book now. And it's just an example of us, how much of how we need God and how God wants us 
to be. One day when our kids were preschoolers, Darlene and I found ourselves with them at a large city park in Southern California. It was the kind of park that makes a grown man wish he were a kid again. It had swings and monkey bars and seesaws, but what was most enticing were the slides. Not just one slide, but three, from small to medium to enormous. David, who was five at the time, took off like a shot for the small slide. Why don't you go down with him, Darlene suggested. But I had another idea. Let's wait and see what happens, I said. So we relaxed on a nearby bench and watched. David clambered happily to the top of the smallest slide. He waved over at us with a big smile, then whizzed down. Without hesitation, he moved over to the medium-sized slide. He had climbed halfway up the ladder when he turned and looked at me. I looked away. He pondered his options for a moment, then carefully backed down one step at a time. Honey, you ought to go help him out, my wife said. Not yet, I replied, hoping the twinkle in my eyes would, would reassure her that I wasn't just being careless. David spent a few minutes at the bottom of the middle slide watching other kids climb up, whiz down, and run around and do it again. Finally, his little mind was made up. He could do it. He climbed up and slid down. Three times, in fact, without even looking at us. Then we watched him turn and head toward the highest slide. Now Darlene was getting anxious. Bruce, I don't think he should do that by himself, do you? No, I replied as calmly as possible, but I don't think he will. Let's see what he does. When David reached the bottom of the giant slide, he turned and called out, Daddy, but I glanced away again, pretending I couldn't hear him. He peered up the ladder. In his young imagination, it must have reached to the clouds. He watched a teenage boy go hurling down the slide. Then against all odds, he decided to try. Step by step, hand over hand, he inched up the ladder. He hadn't reached a third of the way when he froze. By this time, the teenager was coming up behind him and yelled at him to get going, but David couldn't. He couldn't go up or down. He had reached the point of certain failure. I rushed over. Are you okay, son? I asked him from the bottom of the ladder. He looked down at me, shaken but clinging to that ladder with steely determination, and I could tell he had a question ready. Dad, will you come down the slide with me, he asked. The teenager was losing patience, but I wasn't about to let the moment go. Why, son, I asked, peering up into his little face. I can't do it without you, Dad, he said, trembling. It's too big for me. I stretched as high as I could to reach him and lifted him into my arms, and then we climbed that long ladder up to the clouds together. At the top, I put my son between my legs and wrapped my arms around him, and then we went zipping down the slide together, laughing all the way. That's how God does us. But some of us won't go to the third slide. We stay on the little slide. God wants to help us do great things. He wants to help us do great things in this church. He wants to give this church their hunger back. God said to me this afternoon, and God's not, you know, encouraging competitiveness, and I'm not encouraging competitiveness, and I don't want this to sound competitive. God said to me this afternoon, he said, the Baptists are going to pass the Spirit-filled churches. He said, because they're hungry. And they're meeting and they're praying and they're crying out to God. And, the, and he said, it's not knowledge that counts with me, it's hunger. We know a lot more. We do, we know a lot more. But they're hungry. They're hungry. They're praying. Amen. I, my prayer for us is that we don't fall behind. That we, that we get hungry again.
Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's go on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Excuse me for being emotional. I guess it's okay to cry in church. If it's okay to laugh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, or is of God, who, have, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. I mean, we're not supposed to think we're able to do it. God's called this church to do great things in this town. You know, but, and you say, well, we're just not big enough. That's looking at our sufficiency. Amen? Like Pastor said this morning, 120 in the upper room. Hallelujah. Birthed the whole church. Amen? Birth started the church age with 120 in the upper room. We're not looking at our sufficiency. Hallelujah. Not looking at my qualifications. You're qualified and you're called. And I want to get on the third slide. Amen. Glory to God. Uh, <clears throat> Acts 11.21 talks about his hand. Let's turn there. We're, Acts 11, verse 21. This is the, the, the early church. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You know, just getting the hand of God with us. Hallelujah. How could such a simple prayer as the prayer of Jabez turn the whole church around? I believe it'll turn ours around if we'll start praying it. Amen. I believe God will, the blessings of God will increase on our life. I believe He'll expand our territory, and I believe His good hand will be upon us individually and corporately. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And it says the hand of God was on them and, and was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You know, we shouldn't even try to minister without God's hand upon us. How many times have we got up and tried to teach a class or even run the nursery or go to the nursery without God's good hand upon us? No wonder we're frustrated sometimes. Think about it. How many times have we tried to do it with ourselves? Family, we need God's anointing just to breathe. Amen. You can't do nothing by yourself. And you know when you do, I call it shooting from the hip. And you can, you can get by with it a while and you can fool people sometimes, but you'll never see supernatural results without God's good hand upon us. I was reminded of Catherine Kuhlman. I've read some books about her. And it's said of her that before, she, you know, she had a tremendous signs and wonders ministry. And God, once again, chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. For one thing, she is a woman. Number two, she is divorced. Uh, you know, so, you know, the religious community's already saying, this woman is not qualified. But God chose her. And tremendous signs and wonders. But they said before she would go out on stage. And plus all that, I'll just tell you, she's weird. 
She was. She was flat weird. I mean, she was real skinny, bony. I mean, not that that's weird. I'm not trying. In our family, it's real weird. <laughs> my, the lady that does my nails, she is so skinny. I mean, her legs are about that big around. I tell her all the time, if you'll come to my house, I'll fatten you up. And she, and she says, <laughs> and she said, well, you couldn't if I didn't eat. I said, yeah, at our house, you get it by osmosis. <laughs> you <can> just <laughs> but anyway... But they said she wore these long, flowing gowns. How many, was anybody ever in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting? Anybody in a meeting? You were in a meeting. Hallelujah. Well, none of us ever were. But we've seen videos and stuff. <laughs> anyway, and they said she had a long, bony finger that she pointed at you. You know. And so she was kind of eccentric. Do you know what I mean? That's how God chooses foolish things. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So if you're a little eccentric, you're qualified. Thank you, Jesus. Well, anyway, they said before she would go out that she would say, that she would literally say, Oh, God, I'm not going out there if you're not going to. Amen. I, I am not going out there if you're not going to show up. Amen. That's how we ought to be. God, I'm not going to the nursery this morning if you're not showing up. I'm not going to try to usher in myself, God. I'm not going to try to... How much, how much more could we do if we just got the good hand of God on us in the little everyday things? God, I'm not even going to try to clean this house this morning if you don't anoint me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of us might get through cleaning house. I, I, I have... I used to say, I got a church full of women that clean house perpetually. They never get through. They clean house every day of every week. They are constant because they never get through. That's not God's plan. Hallelujah. We could call on God and get the good hand of God upon us. Amen. I'm excited about it. Thank you, Jesus. Number four, we'll wind it up. Keep me from evil. Now, this is, what, this is the part that stirred me up about the book the most. You say, well, you seemed pretty stirred up about the other. Well, I am, but this even got me more because... I saw something I'd never seen before. He had, he, I, I don't know if it was him or the Holy Ghost, but I saw something. He says that in the prayer of Jabez, keep me from evil. See, we've thought God said or meant, keep me through evil. But God said in this prayer, keep me from evil. God's highest and best is to keep us from evil. Amen. Our best strategy against the devil is to stay out of the arena. Now, this doesn't mean that we go hide under a rock and maybe the devil won't notice me if I don't, you know. Like one time we were having a Bible study at our home and Michael said something about, you know, I'm going to give the devil a black eye or something. I don't know what he said and uh, something to that effect. And one of the ladies says, oh, don't say that. He'll attack you if you say anything like that. See, a lot of people are backing up from him. And we're not talking about that. But I tell you what. When our territory expands, we're getting on his turf, you know. So we need to have this missing key here in this church and in the body of Christ. God, keep me from evil. I got to thinking about it. The Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 13, it says, And lead me not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. Hallelujah. And I begin to think about praying, God, keep me from evil. God, keep me from temptation. How much easier, family, 
to avoid, to not ever encounter the temptation of adultery than to try to believe your way through it that you're not going to fall to the temptation. Man, it's so much easier to just never be tempted with adultery. It is so much easier to not be tempted. God wants us to ask Him to keep us from evil, to keep us from temptation. I, I, that was the big revelation in my life. It's like, oh my word, we can pray and ask God to keep us from temptation. We don't have to be tempted. God will steer us around. Amen. He will steer us around temptation. Psalm 91, I, I, I thought, God, is this other places in the Word? And of course it is. I was thinking about Psalm 91, which we looked at this morning. And it's there too. In verse 3, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare or the trap of the fowler. You know why Christian men and women fall into adultery? Because the devil sets a trap. But wouldn't it be good for us to be praying, God, keep me from temptation? And you know, we just never go there. We ne it never, it, the, the trap, the, what is it that Proverbs says? The snare is broken and we are escaped. Amen. Hallelujah. The, all those plans of the enemy dismantled before we get there. God, keep me from evil. Instead of in the church, we've practically believed for it. We've practically believed for trouble. Well, we've believed to overcome. We've believed to overcome, but we've nearly believed trouble in. Instead of saying, Lord, I, I, now I'm not... I'm not avoiding responsibility here. I'm not going to, you know, you know, just hole up in the house and never come out so I won't encounter trouble. No, I'm believing for expanded territory. But I'm believing, Father God, that the things that would, I would encounter that would, might cause me to be tempted that you take care of. Uh, the guy that wrote the book, he gave this example. He said, you know, he was at a weekend conference, and I'll give this example and close. He said he was at a weekend conference, and you know, after you've spoke at a weekend conference, you can be really exhausted physically. And he said he was in the taxi cab going to the airport, and he said, I was drained. I was, and he said, I knew my resistance was low. And doesn't the enemy sometimes wait until we've had great spiritual victory and our resistance is low to tempt us? And you know, he said, I said, God, my resistance is low right now. God, keep me from temptation. He said he sat down in the, his seat in the, uh, in the airplane and he sat down in the middle seat and the man on this side opened up a pornographic magazine right beside him and he said I shut my eyes and said I thought oh God do something he said the man on the other side I opened my eyes and looked the other way and that man over there opened up a pornographic magazine and he said I prayed father you know under my breath keep me from temptation he said all of a sudden I, he said, I kept my eyes closed but all of a sudden I heard the man on my left say a curse word swore and then and slammed his magazine shut and the other man and he, and, and he said I looked around to see what made them do that and he said I, there was no cause there was no reason see God will keep us from temptation Amen. hallelujah praise God thank you Jesus Hallelujah. Such a, such a small thing, but such a big revelation to help us. And it's not just temptation, but all kinds of evil. God keeping us from it. The scripture that I have and I love is 1 Peter 1.5. How are we going to be kept? The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.5, we are kept by the power of God through faith. Through faith. Amen. 
God, I'm believing that you'll keep me from temptation. I'm believing you keep me from evil. I believe, God, if Psalm 91 says, bless God, no evil will befall me, and no plague will come nigh my, my, my dwelling, it won't. It won't. Amen? Hallelujah. I believe the word, don't you? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together.